Bills Pod Squad is brought to you by the New York Lottery. Play the new skee-ball scratch-off game and you could catch up to $60,000. You must be 18 years or older to purchase a lottery ticket. Coming up on this week's episode, we catch up with Hall of Famer Howie Long as we'll discuss his unique career from the field to the NFL on Fox to Hollywood and the big screen. Kim gets into what it's like being a parent of a professional athlete and what went into the collaboration with Bill's Mafia. This week's Bill's Pod Squad starts right now. Welcome into Bill's Pod Squad, presented by the New York Lottery, Maddie Glab, and Bill's owner and president, Kim Bagula, here as your host. Bill's Pod Squad is a podcast that takes you around the NFL from players to coaches to personalities. We get into who they are outside of football. We have Fox Studio analyst Howie Long on the pod today. He talks his memories playing against the Bills, gives us insight into how much his first rookie check was, and shares what's it like to be a parent of professional athletes. Kim, the Bills fall to the defending Super Bowl champions, the Chiefs, 26-17. to They had it within six points in the fourth quarter with about six minutes on the clock. They had the Chiefs in a third and 12 situation but couldn't keep it close enough there towards the end of the game. So it ends up being a loss. The Bills are now 4-2 and two on the season. Anything interesting about that game from your perspective, Well, well let's Kim? not forget that they are the Super Bowl champions yes, for a reason. And certainly coming into the game, they were also 4-1. and one. So um, tough, tough team. Mm -hmm. And actually, like you said, very surprised, very, um, you know, excited to have that close of a game. So keeping Patrick Mahomes down to the amount of points that we did um, was certainly kind of one of the, I know, achievements and one of the things that that, the coach talked about after the game that they wanted to focus on, not letting Patrick Mahomes and the passing yards really get out um, away from them. Um, But but like I said, still didn't get away uh, with the win and we have to get back to work tomorrow. Yeah. Or today, actually. Today. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's another short week for the Bills. They have two short weeks played on Tuesday against the Titans, and then they play on Monday against the Chiefs. Finally ahead, we have a Sunday 1 o'clock kick. I've got to say I'm excited to get back into that in week 7 here Please. to maybe reset things, get back in the groove, get back into uh, our 1 o'clock kicks. Surely we do have two more Monday night football games left, a Sunday night football game left, but uh, I'm excited to see how this team bounces back because they do learn from losses. I could see some of the things that they were working on were fixed in this game against the Chiefs. You didn't have as many penalties and things like that. I think now they they go back to the drawing board. They continue to work on that defensive line and they continue to work on getting the running game involved in this offense. They have such a talented passing game. Uh, I'd love to see Devin Singletary and Zach Moss get involved a little bit more, and I really think that's on the horizon for this team. I would agree, and even though the Jets have not uh, won a game this season yet, though, the, it's a division rival, and we need this win, and as Sean talks about a lot, you know, every game is hard to win in this league. It doesn't matter what a team's record is, and so I know that they're going to be going back to work this week, really focusing on the Jets. is not a given, uh, and they're going to be working hard to get the next W, especially in a division game. Yep, especially in a division game. This is an, an important game for the Bills uh, for the Jets. I want to come away with this one with a win. Uh, unfortunately, since the Bills lost the Chiefs, that doesn't that means Kay Adams, the host of Good Morning Football, she's not going to eat chicken wings on live TV for the first time. That's a bet that Kim and I made with her uh, in our last podcast. If you were listening, she was our guest. She said that she had never eaten chicken wings before, so Kim thought, why not have her eat them on TV if the Bills were to take down the Chiefs? 
That is true. I'm sure that she, if I turn on Good Morning Football, she is super excited yeah, today right? not to have eaten those smile. wings, those bones. and um, but, uh, but you know what? Maybe we can get her again another time. That's what I said. Yeah. I tweeted at her. I was like, you know what? Maybe next time we'll get <laughs> you with this. But uh, let's get into our top three segment. It's brought to you by Connors and Ferris. Connors and Ferris is also our game sponsor for this week, your workers' comp attorneys. So, Kim, our top three this week is top three memory stories of being a parent of a professional athlete. Uh -huh. Howie Long gets into being a father of two professional athletes. Your daughter, Jessie, is a pro tennis player. So she's been a pro for how many years? And I just want to kind of hear about your top three memories stories. Right. Well, un um, unlike Howie's uh, two kids uh, that played football, uh, Jessie is not retired yet. Uh, so, That's good. Um, That's yeah. good. <laughs> so, but I, I will say there's oh a, a lot of memories and it's not easy being a parent of an athlete. Um, my top three memories. Um, Let's see. I'm probably going to say, um, so she started playing tennis when she was seven years old. Mm -hmm. um, and that was certainly kind of um, a young age to know what you want to do in your life. I mean, I don't think any, any of us really knew at age seven what you wanted to do. Yeah, I feel like at age seven, you're like, I want to be a rock star. Yeah. I want to be an <laughs> astronaut. You're still living in that world. Yeah, professional you know, athletes, I'm sure a lot of kids want to be professional athletes at that age, but... Seemed like she was pretty set on that. At she seven was. Years she old. had some great hand-eye coordination, and I just I, one of my first very early memories was was Terry, and so Jessie played on a boys' baseball team when mm -hmm. she was younger, and her and her friend uh, were the only two girls on the team, and they were by far the best players on their team. <laughs> but yeah. I remember, so my my husband was outside playing um, catch and um, hitting the ball, playing catch, and kind of doing some baseball skills. And I just remember him coming in and be like, "Hey, Kim, you got to come out here. You got to watch. Like, you got to watch her. Like, you got like she's hitting. You know, batting left-handed. Like, I'm like really throwing the ball at her, and she's <laughs> catching it. And and I was like, she's got like amazing hand-eye. And I just, you know, it was, it was my first child. And so I was like, oh, that's great, hon. You know, like <laughs> I I didn't notice anything. She's seven, right? But Terry had already coached before. He had coached um, boys hockey mm -hmm. for many years. So kind of he kind of understood some of the skill set and had seen different skills coming, uh, especially the hand-eye coordination. So uh, I didn't notice it at first, but I just remember him super excited, like, wow, like she's got some really good skills. Even at age seven, he could see, see that. And I, I was clueless. I'm like, oh, it's nice. And, you know, I'm glad she's, she's playing and having fun and, you know, just kind of being the, the typical mom at that point, not knowing that that was going to be her life career mm -hmm. um, for the next, you know, 20 years. So that would probably be my first early memory. Where did she get the hand-eye coordination from? Was that from you me, of or course? Terry? <laughs> from me, of course. I'd, I'd like to think that it was from me. Um, you know what? Terry's father was a very good baseball player. Okay. Um, played, I think, kind of in the minors, but mm -hmm. long, long time ago. But he had tremendous um, hand-eye coordination and um, was a great athlete. And so we kind of say, okay, maybe, maybe he kind of passed it, skipped a generation, maybe, ah, I see, <laughs> and I passed see. it along, <laughs> passed it along to Jesse. Um, my second memory I'm gonna say is oh my goodness probably when we went to China well, Hong Kong we mm -hmm. went to Hong Kong uh, Terry <laughs> so Terry and I were you know we're not big international travelers and so my daughter was going with a group of people uh, to play a tournament in Hong Kong and you know it's a long flight and when you're playing in, in juniors this is she was 13 I believe. 13, 13. okay I was playing in juniors and you are you know 
one and done. Like if you lose, like you know, that's <laughs> that's kind of it, right? Go back to the <laughs> right. go back to the United States. And so my daughter, I believe we were there. We made it over there. She was playing. I thought she was going to lose because like she was. At, I can't remember the sc the score, but she was like a, a like a game away from losing. Mm -hmm. Ended up winning um, that match and then ended up winning singles and doubles. Wow. And. I booked our flight back earlier before oh. the tournament ends, and I remember her being so upset. Like, Mom, you didn't think I was gonna you win? You believe in me, like Mom? you had, you, like, yeah. I scheduled the, I scheduled our flight to return because it was one of those things. I knew my husband. Um, you know, he was there to watch Jesse, not to travel to Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and so I knew that. If she was out early, he didn't, he won't you know he's not going to want to stick around like yeah. all week long. <laughs> so I kind of you know um, cut it back Might a few as well days. Just like have a little, little buffer here. Yeah, we'll just, yeah. We'll I just remember book she was just flight. like, yeah. I mean, obviously we were thrilled and happy to change the flight. <laughs> um, although Terry had to sit in coach because we couldn't get the tickets um, <laughs> enough tickets uh, to go back on on first class. So, um, but it but it was worth it. It was it was a fun tournament to see her kind of do that. And I'm probably going to say the other you know. Maybe I have more than more than th three, but the other one, the same trip there, it was amazing. And they talk about how sports really kind of all the intangible things that you can learn from sports. Mm -hmm. And I, because I saw it in our daughter, we are in Hong Kong. My husband and I are like freaking out because we don't know anything. We've never been to Hong Kong before. And here's my 13 year old daughter, and she's like, "Hey, do you want to see my hotel?" I'm like, sure. So my, we were at the tennis tournament, and of course. My husband and I are staying like at the Omni, like this really <laughs> nice hotel, right? Um, that speak English and, and all and you know all that st good stuff. And so we're following our daughter. Like, I have no idea where her hotel is, and we're just following her. She's only thirteen, and she's we're going through like markets where there's like you know food hanging from the ceilings. You know how you kind of see those um, yes. this big open markets, and we're walking up a hill. And I was like, uh, Jess, do you know where you're going? Oh yeah, yeah, I know how we're going. We literally just like walking through. Hong Kong, and we finally get to a hotel. And I'm like, how the heck am I going to get back? So just to see your daughter who, you know, at 13, just takes such command of the environment, no, no fear at all of where she was or that she was going to get lost. Even she was in a foreign country she's never been to before. Um, and just su such invaluable skills uh, that I certainly didn't have when I was 13. So, um, so my husband and I had to call a cab because we didn't know how to get back to our hotel um, and, and you know, didn't have my daughter there uh, to take us back. So, wow. yeah, those, so it's just amazing some of the things that um, sports can teach you and the experiences that they bring to you, whether you're playing, you know, internationally or, or locally. But it's, um, yeah, some, some great um, achievements. You heard Howie talk about just some of his great memories, especially that Super Bowl win mm -hmm. uh, with his son. And I will, I will you know, tell you that we are always cheering, and we hope, as we, as we talk about um, the Stanley Cup, the Super Bowl, we hope our daughter wins a tennis championship, one of uh, the majors, before the other teams do. So that's how you always feel when you have your own child. All right, so let's all root for Jesse so that the <laughs> other right. two things can happen. Yes, <laughs> what's, what's so special now watching her as a professional athlete? I mean, you, you see her at seven with this fire in her eyes and this desire to, to make it and 
then you see her at 13 in a tournament in Hong Kong uh, winning games. And, and now you see her professionally traveling all over the world, uh, playing against some great opponents, making a name for herself. So what, what are some of the special things now just you watching know, her, um, so I guess, fully blossomed almost? Yeah, I, I would say now that she's older and mature, and, and I literally don't do anything with her tennis anymore. I mean, back in the day, you sign her up for the tournament, you know, you, you get her um, racket strung, you do kind of all the mm -hmm. logistics behind the scene. I even have a hard time watching her because I get so nervous. I know because we've been filming podcasts before, and you're like, okay, I can't, I can't watch Jesse's oh, playing yeah. right now. Uh, we'll just I, check in after we're done. I know, be, well, because I have no one to blame when you're <laughs> playing a single sport. Like you know, like you know, if our team's not doing well, you know, I so said, listen, our defense wasn't mm -hmm. there, our offense was off. You know, um, the quarterback didn't didn't connect. Um, whatever. There's a whole team that you can blame in tennis, and one is your daughter, and that's the only person you can blame. Um, it, it's very stressful. So I have a hard time watching it. Um, I just like to be the person just like, hey, after the match, like, oh, just let me know if you won or lost, and, mm -hmm. and um, just say, okay, well, you know, there's another tournament, so better luck next time, yeah. or congrats, or, or whatever the conversation is. So um, it's, it's, it's very stressful. But I think now, you know, now what I love is watching it on TV, especially during this COVID, is... Um, is her name being associated with some of the best players yep, in the world. that is so true. And that, you know, just like I said, thinking back to when she was seven and the path that she's taken, a lot of injuries, just like we see with our, our players here, just gone, going through a lot of the mental, um, you know, maturity that ha you have to take to compete every day, um, all the physical um, kind of stress that she's put on her body, playing a year-round sport, and uh, the injuries that she's had, just um, now kind of seeing her competing with uh, the, the top 50 women in the world is just, um, yeah, now, now it's just uh, it's more fun. It's just to see her there. And I'll say I was like a casual tennis fan. I guess I still am. I'll watch the big matchups. But when Jesse's playing, there's like a vibe around the office. It's like, oh, Jesse's playing today. Like, let's watch. Let's let's turn yeah. it on. Let's let's uh, stay stay in the know on Twitter or whatever and, and see what's up if she's on TV. So it's yeah. been fun to, to tune in when she is playing and she is on TV. So well, let's get into our interview with Hall of Famer Howie Long. The Buffalo Bills are proud to partner with National Grid in pr promoting the Safety First initiative where every time a Bills safety makes a tackle at home, National Grid will donate $50 to the 100 Club of Buffalo in support of first responders and their families. National Grid reminds you to put safety first in your home with this easy tip. If you use a generator be sure to keep it outdoors and away from doors windows and vents all right here's our interview with how hall of famer howie long howie long we are so pumped to have you on this podcast i mean a hall of famer like yourself someone who has had such a crazy career from football to being in studio with fox for so long uh to having kids who have played in the nfl and being an actor, it seems like you've really covered and, it all. And a in book life. author. And, and a book, book author. author. Like, what more could have you done in life? So, we're excited to get into all of that, uh, talk with you just about football. And we'll start off with the Buffalo Bills. They've had a hot start to the season. Uh, we've really seen Josh Allen come alive in his third year as a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. So, watching the <clears> Buffalo <throat> Bills this season, I guess, what has struck you? What do you think of this team in 2020? Well, you know, it's interesting because our our oldest son, Chris, played uh, up in uh, Wyoming. Uh, is I think his senior year, early in the year, and it kind of you're like, where is this? And they play football out here, and you know I think that was kind of the feeling with uh, 
here's this guy that's six five, six six, two forty. He's got you know the kind of athleticism that you rarely see in someone that size, and an enormous arm, and had a big upside, but was somewhat perceived to be inaccurate coming out of college. And I would say the biggest thing for me with the Buffalo Bills is the quantum leap that he's taken from one year to the next. And Brian Debo uh, is, I, I think, a guy who's going to be, unfortunately, I don't think you guys are going to be able to keep him for too long because I think he's he's going to be a head coach somewhere. Uh, he's a guy that I think really has maximized and um uh, you know, his growth in the system has has been exponential over the last year. And, and he has to take charge of the team, whether he likes it or not, or if he feels like he's he's the leader of the team, that guy has to be the guy. And, and I think the team has to believe that at the end of the game, and we saw it the other night with Russell Wilson, where they were getting mauled for three quarters and, you know, they, they get that big stop on fourth down and, suddenly Russell Wilson has the ball in his hands, 95 yards, a little over a minute left, two fourth down conversions. That's the kind of thing you're starting to see from Josh Allen. But I, I, I'm going to go back to, I think, the roots of what makes a really good football team. And I think it starts with your husband, and I think it starts with you, and uh, I think it starts with the general manager, uh, Brandon Bean, and I think uh, – Sean McDermott is a guy that, you know, I followed as a defense coordinator and some guys have it. it. It's, it's hard to put your finger on what it is, but I call it the saran wrap factor when they get in front of that room in front of, you know, men from, from all parts of the country, you know, all, all different backgrounds. And you speak to them that you either, you either grab them or you don't and they see right through you immediately if they don't feel like you you have that and Sean McDermott has it and i think the days in the in the future is bright for the buffalo bills and it starts with Josh Allen you know how he when we went out to visit Josh uh, during his draft year um you know coach Brandon Bean uh, uh Dable uh, my husband and i we all flew out to meet with Josh and, you know, you're right. He had the, you know, the most upside. So, you know, the strong arm, the physicality that you can't like teach, you know, in the future. Um, but the, but the upside and the, one of the things that we really thought about was the unknown of the upside, mm -hmm. but we really had a lot of faith, like you said, in coach, in the team, in Brian Dable to be able to develop him. And I think that's all part of what, you're seeing come to life now in year three is all of us kind of really wrapping around him. And Josh has been a big part of that. He's been very proactive in his learning and his uh, progression as a quarterback himself, you know, connecting with, with his receivers off season, uh, getting more help from Jordan Palmer. But I think it's just that he, we have been able to surround him as well with some really good staff and leadership um, that has helped his development. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think so, and I, I think it's probably, it's the most, given all the things we have in terms of scouting, you know, there's there's no stone unturned. You've spoken to his high school coach, his peewee coach, you've spoken to his neighbor, you've spoken to everyone you could possibly speak to, but at the end of the day, it becomes kind of a, a gut feeling that you have about that person. 
and particularly at the quarterback position because I think it's the most difficult position in Pop Warner, middle school, high school, college, and pro football to forecast. And many people get it wrong. And do you have the makeup? I mean, Buffalo is a, a tough town. It's a town that prides itself on being a tough town. And the history there, you, when you're playing quarterback there, you're chasing ghosts. And it, it's a, like a lot of great organizations that have had great quarterbacks and and Jim Kelly is staring down the gun barrel of, you know, your career. And everything you do is being compared to Jim. I think you guys are close. And, I, you know, New England certainly has been taking everybody's lunch money for a long time. And I, and I think, you know, uh, Brandon Bean has made, a, made it a point of, of emphasis to say, you know, it's, it's, it's time. You know, we're not packing two sets of lunch money anymore because we know you're going to take our lunch money. We're looking to take your lunch money. And, and that hopefully, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, will happen as a byproduct of all the moves that you've talked about and the decisions you make at quarterback. Well, Howie, you already brought up Jim Kelly, so I've got to transition into your playing days with the Raiders and your playing days really in Buffalo in Rich Stadium because there's a game that stands out to a lot of Bills fans as a game that the Bills put the hurt on the Raiders. It was 1990. Was 58 to 3, Manny? Yes, the 51-3 game at Rich Stadium. Uh, the 1990 AFC Championship game where the Bills took down the Raiders uh, by a huge <laughs> score, put a lot of points on the scoreboard. I guess, what do you remember maybe about that game or just playing against those 90s Buffalo Bills that were just tough to beat, had a great offense, had a lot of weapons like this current Bills team, but also had a really stingy and strong defense that was was hard to go up against. Yeah, you know, defensively, Bruce Smith, who's if not one, number two or three, you know, when you're talking about all-time defensive ends, Bruce, Bruce had uh, physical gifts that very few people have, and and I have a great deal of admiration for Bruce. Bruce's uh, <clears throat> through our through our subsequent meetings and conversations we've had at the Hall of Fame and, and particularly at the Nitschke luncheon and uh, getting to know him and you know seeing him as a leader within that room, uh, which is a pretty good room, uh, really in my mind kind of solidified what I believed was the case before I really spent a lot of time with Bruce and and Bennett and you know the whole group they they really had a great defense and I think the offense was it was interesting because two offenses that I think were a glimpse at the future were the early 1980s way before you were born Maddie <laughs> uh, the 19 early 1980s uh, San Diego Chargers uh, with Dan Fouts and Kellen Winslow and Joiner and you know they were three, four wide receivers spread. It was kind of an AFL kind of, you know, play. And then what the Bills kind of morphed into and and nobody else was doing it. And, you know, Cincinnati was doing a little bit of the line no huddle and, you know, with lots of pre-snap, uh, you know, jargon from, from Boomer Sison, But the, the kind of muddle huddle that they were doing in Buffalo presented a unique problem. And, the field was, you know, an issue, and the weather's always an issue at that time of the year. I think that game was somewhere in the 20, 22 below zero. Yeah, uh, it was a cold game for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, 
as a West Coast team, you can you can stand outside the locker room, and as guys walk out of the locker room, you can kind of point to he's going to play, he's not going to play, he's going to play, he's going to play. <clears throat> because for some of those guys who've never even seen snow, let alone 22 below zero, it's it's a shock. <clears throat> and having grown up in Boston, it, it wasn't a shock for me. But the week prior to that, I'm not sure if that was the year that it was the Bo Jackson injury, but I played that game. I with think it was the year that was the that you had the Bo Jackson injury. Yeah, Bo Jackson injured his hip <clears throat> the week before, uh, or or you know, yeah, it was the week before, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I shattered my right hand, and uh, ended up uh, you know doing what a lot of people did at that time, you know, shooting it up and and re-injuring it and you know shattering it a little bit more, and ended up going right from Buffalo on the entire flight with my hand in the air, you know, trying to kill the pain and uh, of both a, a loss of that magnitude and and going right into surgery the next day. But uh, Buffalo was so many Hall of Famers on that team, so many great players, so many characters. Jim Kelly is, you know, a, a dear friend who I, uh, I have a great deal of admiration for. And not only as a football player, but, you know, the way he's handled his life post-football and in battling what he's had to battle um and uh bruce as i mentioned so i have a lot of respect for that buffalo bills team and uh certainly not a i I just kind of wiped that from my mind maddie until you brought it up (laughs) sorry i had to bring it up you know the the bills fans on this podcast who listen to it they'll they'll enjoy those comments (laughs) well you have been with the raiders your whole career correct yeah, I've been with the Raiders for 13 years and Fox for 27. Right. So, <clears throat> so it's know, been 40 years with two teams. Yeah. Well, the Raiders, because that's unusual these days to have a player that mm-hmm. continues their whole career with, with one team. Was that by design? You didn't, you only want to play for the Raiders or just the opportunity? Um, you know, thankfully nobody wanted to trade you. So um, was that just kind of you want to stick with one, one team, one family? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there's, there's two parts to that answer. One is I couldn't imagine playing for anyone else. Um, I was drafted out of Villanova. You know, really no one expected me to be drafted in the second round. It was a shock to me. It was a shock to my, my wife, Diane, who was then my girlfriend at Villanova, and she was a classics major. I wasn't. Um, it's, it's amazing that we even met, given that, you know, my 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 kind of major was library science, which is now a kind of a dying major. <clears throat> but uh, get drafted in the second round, uh, took a look at where Oakland was on the map. I think we, we took one plane ride at Villanova. We, I thoroughly enjoyed my four years there. It was, you know, the best of times. I met my wife there, thank God, uh, for that. And... Uh, Signed a contract for 38, 48, 58, 68, 78, and 88. That's 1,000. And my check, get, get ready for this because my two sons laugh quite a bit about this. My check after taxes was $1,007. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, we go to the Super Bowl, and I'm making $170,000, and I'm on top of the world. I've got a used Coupe de Ville. Uh, life is good. I couldn't imagine playing for another team uh, it's one of those organizations you walk into the building and 
you, you try to kind of have an understanding of, of what greatness is. And you really don't have to look far to see what it is because right from Al Davis to Ron Wolf to, you know, Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, Jim Otto, Ted Hendricks, Cliff Branch, you know, the names go on and on and on. The, you know, so much of the history of the NFL was, you know, in, in many ways written through those matchups with Pittsburgh and, and Oakland and, and those teams and John Madden. Uh, so I, I, I really was, I think I was fortunate to go to, uh, to the Oakland Raiders and I think their patience and Al Davis's vision of what I could be. Now, the follow-up to that is <clears throat> a number of teams tried to trade for me. And Al was, as a matter of fact, I was, I was rumored to be involved in a three-team trade when John Elway came out, refused to play for the Colts. And I was going to go to Chicago as part of the trade. And, and uh, when Al kind of found out that that was the kind of the part that to make the deal happen and John Elway would go to the Raiders. Now, I'd have traded myself for John Elway. I mean, if I were Gene, but uh, Al, Al refused to trade me. And, you know, once you're part of that organization, much like, you know, the Buffalo Bills, you know, could you picture Jim Kelly in another uniform? Could you picture, you know, although Bruce Smith did play in, in another uniform, <clears throat> I don't think of Bruce Smith as a Washington, you know, Washington football team member. Team. Uh, I think of Bruce Smith as a Buffalo Bill, and that's who Bruce Smith is, and that's who Jim Kelly is, and and I'm a I'm a Raider. I'm a Raider for for life. You collect all of these honors and all of these accolades in your 13-year career with the Raiders, being a Super Bowl champ, making it to eight Pro Bowls, being a three-time first-team All-Pro, being the NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 85, then being inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2000, and you take it into your Fox career uh, in 1994 when Fox NFL really <clears throat> got started being a studio analyst. I mean, if you could go back to 1994, what was that setup like uh, being one of the first to be in studio with that group of people, some of the guys who you still currently work with? <clears throat> well, I've been with Terry for 27 years, and some of those years are dog years. I mean, I should get credit <laughs> for seven years. It's, a, it's, a, it's the most unlikely marriage you could possibly have. I mean, we couldn't be any more different. He's from Louisiana. I'm from Boston. I grew up Catholic. He grew up Baptist. Uh, he's been married three, four times. I've been married once for 40 years. Uh, we're, we're just different. And he's, he's like the brother that I never wanted. Uh, and for whatever reason, from day one, that chemistry really worked. And I, it's kind of like a football team. You, you really, you can't, it's, it's so difficult. And the general manager has the responsibility of who do you bring in? How many knuckleheads are you willing to have in the locker room? Can we manage it? What impact will it have on the quarterback? What impact will it have on the chemistry of our football team? Is our leadership good enough to handle this guy? <clears throat> and we caught lightning in a bottle, and you mentioned Fox Sports starting out. It was Fox Sport at that time, and wow. it was literally a blank page. And no player had ever gone from playing to right into the studio at that time. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, 
I came in for an audition and, you know, I, I thought you had to be Bob Costas and I had all these, you know, copious notes and I had spoken to everyone in the league, the commissioner, and, you know, it was kind of a mock kind of week that you're, they were, they were kind of, he's in and gave you the matchups and et cetera, et cetera. And, and David Hill, who was kind of the architect and the visionary of creating Fox sports, which had a totally different feel to it right down to, could you imagine watching a game now without the box in the corner of the screen that gives you the score and the down in the distance prior to no. Fox. And I remember other networks said, you know, that will, I will be dead before they, we do that at our network. And, and it's just crazy to imagine a game now without that. But David wow. Hill's vision of Fox sports was be yourself. Be conversational. Um, you know, I, I, I think the thing about this medium is you you can't hide from who you are. If you're trying to be somebody else, if you're trying to be, you know, slick or cool or whatever, it will see right through it. And I think they also get a feel for it. And I don't know about you, but when I watch TV and I see a show with multiple people on it and I feel like it's uncomfortable or there's tension I change the channel. I have enough tension in my life that I want to watch a TV show with tension. We've been so fortunate that, you know, first it was James Brown, now it's Kurt Menefee and Jimmy Johnson, Terry Bradshaw, and, and Michael Strahan. We couldn't have kind of computer generated a better guy to, to fit into our show. Everyone on that set, you know, there's a lot of Super Bowls, there's a lot of Pro Bowls, everyone's in the Hall of Fame. You know, there's a lot of reasons for each person on that set to feel pretty good about themselves. But I can tell you, honestly, it's it's a very selfless group. Uh, nobody. And this is the key. And I think it's a it's a problem in television. I'm not going to lift myself up at your expense on live television. I'm you know, it, it, we can disagree, but we're going to disagree respectfully. And I also through my you know, personal interaction with you, have an understanding of who you are, you know, where the line is for you, what what's what's kind of out of bounds, what you can't say. I, I understand what Terry likes or doesn't like. And I, I understand even through his speech patterns, you know, when is a right time to kind of interrupt him when he's doing a farm animal analogy to football? <laughs> like, you know, I had this goat, you know, and, and I'm like, what? <laughs> so it you know for whatever reason it just it worked and 27 years later we've been number one for 27 years and um you know my kids when i started out there were nine six, and my kids were running around that set and two of them ended up playing in the nfl and uh were first round draft picks and chris won two super bowls and kyle went to multiple pro bowls and um but their success in many ways is part of the Fox family success because Terry, Jimmy, all the people on the set kind of feel like they're nephews. So there's such a strong bond in that group. And, and I laugh from 5 a.m. till 5.30 at night when I leave and that day on Sunday. And we could not see each other for three, four months. And, and that chemistry is there right away.
that is great to hear. That's, I think we have that chemistry, right. Maddie, yeah. right? We can <laughs> leave each other for five months and pick up where we left off. <laughs> even, even though there's a slight age difference, but we're, we're still good. Yeah. You know, you talk about your kids. I have a daughter, my oldest daughter. She's 26 years old. She plays uh, professional tennis um, on the women's tour. And I know how incredibly hard it is to be an athlete. Um, you have two kids that have followed your footsteps in football. Um, so just kind of share with us kind of some of the, the learnings that you've had from, you know, how did, were you one of those fathers that was, you know, a teacher because you played the game or were you much more the, the kind of standoffish parent uh, when it came to their football? Well, first, I, you know, we, we didn't push football. And, you know, if, if you saw Chris or you saw Kyle, uh, when they were younger. I mean, Chris was kind of a nerdy little kid. It was goofy and, you know, always smart as a whip and, you know, inquisitive and, you know, <clears throat> always wanting to learn. And, you know, I, I, I thought, and, and I was actually quite happy with this. I thought, you know, this kid's going to be an architect or, you know, what, whatever he turns out to be. So, you know, who knows, maybe he's a Supreme Court justice, you know, that's that's kind of topical news. Um, but one day came to us and said, you know, I I want to play football. And I never really thought about it. And I never talked about it, never pushed it because I would have been perfectly happy if none of my kids played football. <clears throat> um, and I'm not sure why that is. I mean, maybe I kind of I've been behind the curtain and I'd had so many surgeries and, you know, the injuries and, you know, you kind of see the other side of it. Uh, although the Villanova experience was was great and we never played on television, we bust the games, we stayed three to a room at George Washington Motor Lodges. You know, it, wow. it was a really unique experience. <clears throat> but pro football's business and it's it's a uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? And don't really care if you're injured, uh, if you can't get it done, go to somebody else. So when he said that, I remember, and you know, you have those conversations that I'm sure you have, you know, laying in bed at night with the lights out, you know, it's, you, you're, you turn to your wife, I turn to my wife, Diane, and I say, Chris wants to play football. And I remember she said, oh, don't worry about it. He'll get his nose bloodied and he'll come home and he won't want to <laughs> Boy, were we wrong. Um, and Kyle was truly a man child. Uh, he was <laughs> one of those kids who was the sweetest kid you could ever imagine and then turned out to be one of the most you know <laughs> at times he could get pushed into a corner and he had too bad of a temper and that kind of played out uh with the bears uh periodically and in, in a in a in a what you call a, a altercations at practice uh you know so getting a governor on that was a challenge but uh wanted to do and i thought was important to do because i told you it's so important I coached them in all in Little League for eight years. Um, I coached them all in high school for eight years, but I coached them in high school with football during the week. So it was a little bit of both. I was an active participant and Fox was kind enough. And I said to them, look, this is important to me and, and I have to do this. If, if this doesn't work, let me know. And, and they were extremely supportive of, and they were always supportive of, you know, us being involved with uh, our, our son's uh, sports careers and <clears throat> coach them for eight weeks during the year, during the week. And then on Friday night or Saturday, whenever the game was played, I would be somewhere in the corner of the end zone by myself, 
I was a nervous dad, um, always have been. I, I tell people the feeling that you have watching your kids play in college or in the NFL isn't, isn't any different than the feeling you have when they're on the mound in Little League Baseball. It's the same thing. The only that, thing is, is playing out true. on national TV. It's the yeah. same thing. Uh, but it's been, a, it, it's been an incredible ride with both of them, both being drafted in the first round and the magical kind of, you know, I, I don't want to downplay the New England Super Bowl, which was great. Uh, but when you go to New England, there's, you know, it's not for everyone. And it's a very selfless kind of system where week to week you could be doing, you know, one thing one week and one thing another week. And maybe this week the role that you're playing is not beneficial to your style of play. And uh, I thought enjoyed the experience of playing under Bill Belichick. Uh, he enjoyed the experience of playing with Tom Brady and a number of players in New England. But the win in Philadelphia, you know, and, and part of that is because it's a city that has been starved for a Super Bowl champion and never, never really got across the finish line. They, they got there with <clears throat> Ron Jaworski in, the, I think it was 1980, uh, right before I got to the Raiders. And the Raiders were the first wild card team uh, to win the Super Bowl under Tom Flores. And uh, I, I think... Uh, I think that Philadelphia experience and, you know, the parade and the speeches and, you know, uh, all three of the boys, how he works for the Raiders indirectly and was in the scouting department for four or five years and then moved all things involved with the stadium, which is just amazing. I, I, you know, I, I've driven by and I go, oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> we went from Oakland where you're sharing a field with a baseball team in the locker room. It's, you know, the... <laughs> the toilets are backing up and, you know, there's rats in the building and, you know, it's to this state of the art. It looks like the death star landed in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's just amazing. And I'm, I'm happy for the organization. I'm happy for all that. Uh, but uh, Philadelphia to me, watching the parade, uh, Driving back to the hotel, I remember the night they won the NFC Championship game and not being able to get to our hotel and having to park our car five blocks from the hotel at one in the morning because we had been down at Chris and Meg, our, our son and daughter-in-law's place. The only way I could describe it would be the purge. And Maddie, you probably have watched <laughs> the purge, Kim. You probably no, I, I know it. what the purge is. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was like walking through the purge. And thankfully... I, I had kind of a, a, a get out of jail free card because Chris was part of the Eagles uh, NFC championship team. But that moment at the end of the game, my grandson runs up to our set, which is down by the corner of the end zone and it's facing the stands and he comes up on my lap and we're on TV. I'm looking at the monitor out in front of our set. And there's also a set on the field where the presentation of the NFC trophy is being made to the Philadelphia Eagles and Terry, Uncle Terry, is interviewing Chris on the field and I'm sitting there with Waylon on my lap. It's, it was a surreal moment and, and I can tell you, you know, having won a Super Bowl and, you know, covered uh, uh, 10 Super Bowls with, the, with Fox and, you know, all the things that, you know, 
personally, I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to accomplish the things that your children do are far eclipse that. And, you know, in terms of personal meaning to me, uh, I'm so proud of them. And Chris has built like 60 wells in East Africa and mm -hmm. he's trying to save the world. And Kyle, you know, does a lot of things for underprivileged kids in inner cities. And Chris is reading programs in three different states and how he, in his own way, uh, not being an NFL player, you know, is one of those people that likes to around holidays, buy a bunch of food and drive around to homeless shelters and feed people. I've always kind of felt like, and, and my wife, Diana, have always felt like that is the most important part of your life. And it says a lot about who you are. Uh, and I think it's just, it's good for the soul. Um, you know, I'm one of those people that watches a wonderful life every year around <laughs> December 23rd and get re-inspired and, and, you know, I, I, I recommend another one for you, Maddie, Family Man. Okay. Yep. Um, another good movie yeah. uh, that'll just make you kind of walk away and go, you know what? There's a lot to be appreciative for, uh, a lot to be thankful for. I, I know that there's been several times where I've had people ask me why we invest in sports or why we've, we've put a lot of kind of our achievements in, in sports, whether it's been in hockey or in football. And I tell people all the time, like, you, you just don't understand. It's not just the game itself and the entertainment mm -hmm. part, but what it does for all the intangibles that it does for an athlete. Like, my daughter has been able to experience so many things and learn so many skills as an athlete and, and being part of tennis that I don't know if she would have gotten anywhere else. And then just seeing it, especially here in Buffalo, what, um, what the sport means to our community and how it just brings a team together, our community, our fans together. Um, so I tell people all the time, like it's worth investing in. You get so much more out of it than just a game. Well, you guys have invested in a lot of, <clears throat> you guys are, are owners of about eight <laughs> different franchises, right? <laughs> Yes, it seems like that. Yes, it's, some days it does definitely seem like that. Are, are you? Are, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you going to get a new stadium there? Oh. I, we we are working on it. As you know, with the Raiders, it's it's taken them a long oh. time to get that. So um, I know it's, it's not a a short process. So, but continually working our way through that. COVID kind of put a little bit of a you know slowdown in that uh, talks, but certainly we're working behind the scenes in that. So we were just at the yeah, Raiders. And, and I think I think that community, you know, that that fan base, that community really deserves a new stadium. And it's it's one of those deals where, you know, you could do a kind of retractable roof and, you know, you could uh, either emphasize the cold or or make it warm for another event. Uh, there's so many things that you can do. I mean, with the Raiders stadium, I know they have that same kind of field that Arizona has where the entire, they press a button, the entire field rolls out of the stadium. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, they, the hardest ticket to get in Las Vegas is what, Maddie? I don't know. What is it? Ready, ready <laughs> I haven't been to ready Vegas to before. The National Rodeo Finals. Mm, I did not and, know and that. I got a lot of cowboy friends and, you know, having a home in Montana and uh, one of the things I always talk about is how difficult it is to get that and the, the seating capacity and the building that they've held it. Uh, and I see that and they've got, they're going to have the pro bowl there and they'll have the draft there and hopefully a super bowl soon. And 
I think if you're if you're looking at let's say you're you're from Buffalo and the Buffalo Bills are playing the Las Vegas Raiders, is that a trip you're not gonna want to make in November or December? So true. <laughs> that is so true. Oh gosh. Well, Howie, how did you know you went from player to analyst? And then where, where did acting come from? So you've been in several movies. I see you on, on TV all the time in, in different commercials. It was that, you know, a Terry Bradshaw thing. I know he's, he's done <laughs> a lot of movies as well. Um, you know, you said your library science was your major. So where, where did this so, acting you, ability you, come you, from? Communications was my major, but oh, okay. uh, Sister Mary Margaret Cribben, who kind of reminded me of my grandmother when I needed to get my GPA up was, oh. was taking library science okay. with her one, two, and three was was always a, a good thing. <clears throat> you know, it was just kind of happenstance. Um, my agent called me about, uh, got a call about a movie called Broken Arrow and John Travolta was yeah. starring in it. And John Woo, a famous director named John Woo was directing it. And it was depicted to me as uh, a two-week deal. Uh, I'd go out there for two weeks, and we had three sons at that point. And uh, I get out there, I get on the set, and, you know, it's a John Travolta film. And, you know, at that time, it's a $65, $70 million film. And, you know, translating to today's dollars, that's probably $150, close to $200 film. So it's a big film. It had that feel. Uh, no, no uh, expense was was cut there, and had fun. You know, it was it was just one of those kind of campy, fun movies. And every week, John Woo would come into my trailer and say, "We make you bigger, John Wayne." <laughs> and I kept calling home to Diane and the three kids, who have now set up a ramp at the pool, and they're running their bikes into the pool, and she wants me to do something about it. At some point, your kids realize after a certain period of time that, you know, when you're on speakerphone threatening them from, you know, wherever we were shooting in the middle of uh, dead center, in the middle of Montana or northern Arizona at, at Lake Powell, uh, you can't get home at least for a day or two. So they're not real scared. Uh, that was a fun film. I ended up staying there for two, three months, loved every minute of it, and then did a film with... Uh, uh, I did a film called, um, what was the name of the film with? It was an Elvis thing with. Um, you did Firestone, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Yeah, 3,000 Miles to Graceland was after Firestorm. Firestorm was a deal that was a preemption deal. So Disney had come to me because I did Broken Arrow with, with Fox. They had preemption rights on any offer that I got. So mm -hmm. Disney came to me with a post-apocalyptic film that was, you know, $40 million film. And uh, Fox preempted me off of that to shoot Firestorm, which was a $16 million film without a finished script and without a director at the time. <clears throat> and wow. I, you know, I had to I had to do it. I would fly to Vancouver every Sunday night from our show, you know, go through customs, sprint to the hotel, get up at 530 in the morning drive to the setup by Whistler, it was out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, shoot all week and then fly back late Friday night for our Saturday morning production meeting. And that went on for three months. And that really was kind of a point where my wife and I sat down and said, why are you doing this? 
because I'm away for three months and I'm missing all those moments that you know you you don't want to miss and uh, my wife who's given up a law career to uh, raise the three boys she practiced law out in LA went to USC law school while I was playing out there and uh, practiced in LA for five six years uh, and that's a great sacrifice the older I get the more I appreciate and and think how selfless that was uh, and we just made the decision it's like do we need the money no um, is it ego I don't think it was ego I think it was just a fun thing to do but in many ways I kind of felt like as a family man it was a selfish thing to do it was you know I had spent those 13 years playing football and when I tell you I was committed 24-7 and she was there for all the surgeries and all the rehabs and you know all the sacrifice and me bringing a projector home in the early part of my career on a reel-to-reel -reel and putting a sheet up on the wall in the bedroom watching film and she went through all that and after the 13 years I think the perspective probably was more of okay we did that it's time to kind of be back in the family and part of the family unit on a regular basis and and I'm glad I did you know I ended up making another film uh, 3,000 miles to Graceland with uh, Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell and you know I, I value those experiences but it was more of a cameo um, and had fun doing it the commercials you know, just got fortunate, you know, did a series of commercials with Terry Hatcher. And I think we did 140 or 50 commercials for Radio Shack. Um, and so many people thought Terry Hatcher was my wife. <laughs> I would literally be holding my wife's hand at a football game. And someone would walk up to me and say, boy, I love those commercials you do with your wife. <laughs> I'm looking over my wife and I'm saying, this is my wife. <laughs> my kids wanted to print up shirts that Terry Hatcher's not my mom. <laughs> One of the fav my favorite things that you've done, though, is football for dummies, because I have that on my phone, downloaded, and it because it it brings people into the game, and especially if you're new to football, or even me who like knows the generalities, but I want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I think it's just bringing football to the masses. Um, that's one of my favorite things that you've done, and the little um, Howie-looking uh, referee instructions mm -hmm. on on the I signals on the. I've, I've um, read a lot of that it's, book. It's been really, it's been very informational, and I, I don't know how you got into writing that book, but um, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah, they they. They asked me to do it some years ago, and we <clears throat> we literally just updated it, I think, last year because you needed a fresher perspective in terms of, I think, our league at some point over the last five, six, seven years has, you know, we were, we were jamming a square peg in a round hole for a number of years trying to find Jim Kelly, Tom Brady, you know, Peyton Manning, and right now in – Pop Warner Middle School and high school and, and in college, quarterbacks are playing out of the gun, out of spread formation. It's a lot of read options. Uh, it's abbreviated reads in the secondary. It's, it's quarterbacks who can beat you both with their arm and their legs. And I think the league has kind of accepted that. And I think uh, we, we challenge defenses more now. And it's interesting because defenses are usually ahead of offenses in the early part of the season. That hasn't been the case this year. And I think part of that is off-season conditioning. 
football's a lot like boxing and you can't prepare for football without playing football. And because of COVID and, you know, the lack of OTAs and mini camps and all of that, uh, I think defensive players in terms of the pace of the game were a little bit behind. And I think offensively we're challenging defenses more vertically and horizontally mm -hmm. than we ever have before. Smoke screens, jet sweeps, smoke screen, meaning a quick throw out to a wide receiver where the other wide receiver has one block. And if he makes that block and, and one guy misses out there in space with a dynamic player like an Odell Beckham Jr. or like your guy in Buffalo, that could be a home run or at least a one-on-one -on -one matchup with a safety. So the entire team has to run out to the sideline all the time. And that includes your 290, 300-pound defensive linemen, 240, 50-pound linebackers. And I think that shows up in the fourth quarter, both in run defense and pass defense, without boring you with too much football. <laughs> oh, no, you can never bore us with football. Howling so. from football, the dumb, football for dummies to the acting to career to watching your kids play in the NFL, winning Super Bowls, to you being in the NFL and, and working for Fox Sports, being a studio analyst for Fox Sports and Fox NFL Sunday. I mean, I'm just, you have I'm just done tired listening it's, to it's you. crazy. You You've done so much, but it's been so awesome to sit here and get to listen to, you know, how you you've navigated through that life and and had an awesome life with your wife and your kids and spending time uh, with all of them, making time for all of them during a very busy career uh, in football. But we appreciate the time. It was awesome to get to talk to you and we're excited for yeah, our I'm listeners glad, to hear what you had to say. I'm glad we got this scheduled. I think you, you know, you and Terry are doing a, a great job up there. And I, I think just like with any company, I think it starts at the top. I think the people at the top set the tone for the entire organization. And, and, and I think if players believe that the organization is, is run the way your organization is run, you have an opportunity to be successful both individually and collectively. And, and you know, hats off to you. Well, uh, I am having my best. I, I will, but I, we are having the time of our lives doing it. So we know how blessed we are and appreciate it and appreciate so much talking it? to you. It's it, like, it, it, it is like so much fun. Yourself. It's like, how could I possibly get paid to do this? Well, I, I actually don't get paid, but <laughs> but, yeah, but yes, yes, uh, definitely enjoying it so much. And it's so much fun and I love doing it. And I love getting to meet the meet people. And it's just um, very blessed to be in this in the sports and being in football as, as much as football has meant to you. It's I'm feeling the same yeah. way. Definitely. So, thank, thank you, you so much, Thanks, Howie. Howie. Thank you guys for having okay. me. Appreciate right. it. The New York Lottery is giving away $50 worth of the new limited edition New York Series scratch-off tickets with a chance to win up to $1 million to one of our lucky listeners each week. Visit buffalobills.com slash New York Lottery or click on the link in the podcast description to enter now. Kim, something pretty exciting happened this past week. It was the merge between the Buffalo Bills and Bills Mafia to create some awesome merch, and I'm sure some other things on the horizon. Uh, I want to ask you what went into collaborating with the name Bills Mafia and co-founder Del Reed. There was a clip that the Buffalo Bills released, and uh, Del said that, you know, Mafia means family. Bills Mafia is all about family. It's about investing in each other and supporting the team. He said the Buffalo Bills are the extra family member in every household uh, for Buffalo Bills fans, and that's something that really stuck with me. Watching that 30-second clip, I'm sure more of that video is going to be released. So just what went behind that uh, merging – 
with a name like Bill's Mafia merging with the people behind Bill's mm -hmm. Mafia collaborating is something uh, that I'm pumped about. I've seen the clothing. I'm sure uh, we'll do a lot more than just clothing. Uh, but yeah, explain what, what went behind that uh, and, you know, why now? Well, when I talked to Dell, he said it was like losing one of his children, the Bills <laughs> Mafia. Um, and and I, I understand what, what he felt like, and you know, but it's not about lo him losing uh, a child. It's about him gaining a mm -hmm. much bigger, bigger family across the whole world. And I think that's what really um, kind of led into the conversations. Um, what I love about Bills Mafia is that it is authentic, right? I mean, it started with Dell, it started with our community, the grassroots, mm -hmm. um, very real. And even though it's, it's a phrase that we've been using over the last several years, um, it, it's more than just the words, right? It's the family uh, aspect of it. And it's what the feeling happens with family. Um, and so this has been, you know, obviously this isn't something that, that um, the Dell was easily, you know, wanted to let go of. Um, there were many conversations over the course of the last uh, few years to get to where this point was and to make him feel comfortable that, that we want to be a partner with him and that we want to take that Bill's Mafia um, and make it, and like I said, bring more people into our family. And I think that's where we really connected and said, okay, that's, that's what it's for. Um, as you know, we talk about uh, the sheer bills together, one family, mm -hmm. and certainly we just felt like this was just a great time to kind of be able to, um, you know, bring that brand to a bigger audience and more awareness of the kind of team we want to be, the kind of community that we want to be. Um, so very, very thankful to, to Dell for all his cooperation and working with us as a partner and excited to see all, whether it's merchandise, whether it's our content, whether it's just kind of, um, you know, the shout outs that a lot mm -hmm. of our players do. Um, happy to have so many more people in that family. Yeah, I think the really cool thing is 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 how this started and how you pointed out it was really grassroots and and how the Bills went to Dell with this idea to to do the collaboration and to do the merge and uh, knowing that you guys respect Dell Reed and respect the founders of Bills Mafia and and went to them with this and like you said had multiple conversations in order to partner with the Buffalo Bills and Bills Mafia. Uh, I think it speaks to how much respect you and the Bills have for this fan base and what they've done for the Buffalo Bills. Yes, And, and I would also um, you know bring up the whole process, like there's, there were other people part, part of the process. Mm -hmm. So obviously the league is a big part of it. Right. And one of the things I think some people forget is that, you know, the, the Buffalo Bills and the logo and the NFL, like those are all trademarked. Mm -hmm. So, um, so Dell wasn't able to kind of really put the two together yet. Um, maybe, you know, obviously um, by, by the actions and just community um, and the fandom, he could, but um, being able to do that. So we had, there were some legal things that we had to, to connect with and that allowed Dell to even expand bigger than what his current um, fans were. And, and that's why we did the partnership because we were able to bring something um, which is our logo, our mark, the NFL shield, uh, to the Bills Mafia. And I think that's why that partnership worked. Um, but some, some people just don't, you know, don't know that there's yeah. often, like, other things in play. There's hoops to jump through. Yeah, you've got yeah. to do a bunch of things when you're binding it to an NFL name. Yes, and, and that's really why we wanted to partner with Dell, because that's the way we felt we could bring it to a bigger mass, a bigger... Um, fan and, and make sure that the Bills Mafia and the, the Buffalo Bills were forever connected together. Um, so, um, like I said, a lot of people did a lot of work to get to that point, but um, happy we're there now. So I think you're going to start seeing some real 
cool merch and, and uh, a lot of people out there just kind of waving the Bills Mafia flag even higher. Yeah, I've seen a, a couple uh, pictures and snapshots of some of the merch, and man, does it look cool. I'm excited for our fans to get their hands on it. Uh, I'm really pumped to see what this partnership brings about. I mean, we are further connecting with the community, further connecting uh, with our Bills Mafia fan base. I feel like in a year where uh, we are so apart in so many ways and we still don't have fans in the stands, I feel like we've been able to come together in a lot of different ways than we haven't been able to in years past. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, more than ever, like you said, um, during this time, family, that's what, you know, that's what we're about and that's what we need each other. And this is just another step in, in making sure that we are saying to our fans and, and to new fans coming in, like, you know, be, be a part of the Bills Mafia. I like it. Let's let's make it global. Let's that's make right. it worldwide. All right, Kim, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast right. episode. We've got the Jets coming up here in week seven, an away game, a division game, an important game. Uh, so a short week for the team to prep and get ready, a short week for us to get everything this that we need to get done. This season is flying by. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. I can't believe we, we're, we're already here. Um, so, yeah, it, this is flying by, and like I said, just kind of need to – Regroup and, like I said, know uh, as, as they talk about turning the page and getting ready for Sunday. So true. All right, All right Bill's podcast brought to you by New York Lottery. Kim, thanks for the time. Thanks right, to our thanks, listeners. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in to all these episodes. We've got another great guest coming up next week, so make sure you stay tuned.